Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Straffer, Mike Palmer, and Brandon Jones back with us to talk about the Gartner Hype Cycle 2019 edition. Always fun to get hyped up here on Trending in Ed. Mike, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm amped. I'm excited. Uh, we've done this uh two times before this is our third turn of the crank or this is our fourth third or fourth turn of the crank we'll uh we'll confirm that uh downstream but we've been tracking these hype cycles uh last three years i believe and uh you know excited to, as always to have brandon back but especially to have brandon back to talk about the hype cycle because uh we all kind of discovered it together we've been riding the hype cycle and uh, and for those of you who aren't aware of it, uh, you're about to be turned on to something pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to to dig in. Yeah, some number of crank turns ago, we discovered yeah. uh, getting smartener with Gardner. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a yearly tradition. Thank you, uh, gents, for inviting me back to part participate in this tradition. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm hyped. Yeah. So uh, maybe just to to get the backstory going, right? So. We first discovered it, I think, off cycle, if I remember correctly. And, you know, it was maybe middle of the year and we were getting caught up on the hype cycle from the year before. And um, I think it was even year one when we started talking about Smart Dust. Uh, and then I know Smart Dust came back and like there's some callbacks to previous shows that, uh, that have become part of the history of trending in education breaking down the Gartner hype cycle. So I would, you know, we're going to try to make this, you know, fresh and engaging for somebody who's coming in who hasn't listened to the previous versions. But like, you may want to go back to our back catalog, check out our 2017 hype cycle, 2018 hype cycle. We, we're, we're not going to uh, try to rely on that as, as a base level of knowledge, but your, your understanding will be better if you do that. And uh, it is really interesting to look at this over three years too, right? So like, What's what stays on the hype cycle? What isn't covered? Um, but uh, but smart dust, Brandon, was something that I knew we would be returning to. Of course, I've gotten a little smart dusty though, to be honest. I don't yeah, hear to my voice, but I'm a little verklempt because it's yeah. not on the hype cycle this year. Exactly right. Yeah, so, like so that was two years of smart dust. And for folks who don't know uh, about smart dust, uh, please listen to the back catalog. You can hear me wax poetic about it. Uh, it was going to be the thing that solved all things. All you would need is smart dust. You need nothing other than smart dust because smart dust was going to be everything. Yeah. And, you know, yes, it was many years out uh, per, yeah. the, per the uh, hype cycle um, time horizon. Um, but it's, it's so far out now that it's not even on the curve. It's right. And bad. I'm pouring one out for smart dust from the, the, the cup that I've made from smart dust. I pour one out for you. Yeah. Smart dust. I, I hope you return to the hype cycle. Uh, next year and, and, yeah. and for many years to come. And just to be clear, Smart Dust is still also far out, like as in so far, far out, far out, man. Yeah, uh, like but but it's also uh, yeah. So uh, I think just for folks who this may be their first exposure to the Gartner hype cycle, let's begin by giving them some context around what the Gartner hype cycle is. So uh, which of my two esteemed colleagues on the show wants to take a stab at? providing the basic framework that is the Gartner hype cycle. I'm, I'm happy to, to take right, a crack at that. Uh, so it's a, a hype cycle on emerging technologies, 
that are going to influence uh, technology, society as a whole, education, sort of uh, the whole depth and breadth of uh, everyday life that Gartner does research on and projects out in two different forms. One, where they are along the hype cycle, which we can talk about those different stops along the hype cycle, but also how far out they are, what, what time frame they are in. So in reading the hype cycle or looking at the image that is provided, uh, you'd want to understand both where it is on the cycle itself, which looks uh, sort of like a roller coaster ride, if you will, going up the hill and then back down and, and up again, uh, and also how far out they are. So there are different keys to both. Uh, but that is the, the hype cycle in, in a, a nutshell. And as we've discovered it over uh, the few years and discussed it, we've seen things climb up. Uh, you hear the innovation trigger, the peak of inflated expectations, the trap of disillusionment, the slope of enlightenment, and then the plateau of productivity are the terms you'll hear throughout here as we discuss through some of these topics. Yeah. And uh, just to build on that, like wonderful language, part of what drew us to this was that the sort of the narrative arc that these hypable things go through where, you know, innovation trigger, inception, uh, not as exciting, but then peak of inflated expectations. We all know what that means. Trough of disillusionment, boy, howdy. We know what that means. And then, and then on the other side, you know, the, the slope of enlightenment, the plateau of productivity, uh, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a wonderful uh, like narrative language that's describing how innovations and ideas excite the imagination. Then they go through some reality check, uh, and then best case they, you know, rally and uh, mature into something that's productive over time. Um, what's interesting about this year relative to previous years is that it's very front loaded. So like, they're not really showing much beyond uh, from inception to peak of inflated expectations into beginning to decline into that trough. And then everything beyond that um, is kind of off, off their radar. They don't care as much about that. And that was a bit of a change from, uh, from previous years. So, uh, so I'll, I don't know if either of you guys want to get in on that, but I think that, you know, the language is wonderful. Like the kind of looks, looks like a roller coaster. I also think it looks like a, like an action potential if you're looking at how like a, a nerve uh, signal is triggered and it goes boom and then it goes, you know, whoa, and then it goes back to like steady. But, uh, but Brandon, any thoughts uh, from you on uh, just the whole, uh, you know, narrative arc of the hype cycle and how this year feels a little different than maybe previous years? Yeah, although I will say I'm I am a little distracted by the activation potential and the boom and the whoa. Uh, I think that was you managed to to wrap up uh, quite a lot going on in that description. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I do have a few thoughts, and and I think we have. I, I think throwing shade is is uncharitable for what we did last year, but we we um we hoped to inspire yeah to right. do a little bit different. Uh, take a little different, a different tack with their presentation of this because it's super interesting. And what this begs for me, or what 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 I what I would really want from this is something that tracks these um, points on this graph over time. Yes. So you know, it's, it's imagine and and you see it all over the place today, which is why Gartner can't we see it from you? Right. Uh, you know, uh, something that has some interactivity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, slide your cursor along and see where things yeah. are at different points or 
you know, you can press play on the Gartner hype cycles that have been overlaid one another from the last however many years. Yep. Because I do think that there is, there are some meta commentary. There is some meta commentary through the lens of the Gartner hype cycle. So one is just Mike, as you, as you discussed, is that there's, there's literally nothing that has made it all the way into the trough of disillusionment and nothing that makes it out. So I, I, to me, one could interpret, and I might be one of those ones who could interpret this and say, it is less interesting to Gartner or to whomever um, for, you know, to, to be looking at or, or opining on technology that's been around a little longer and may have made it out. And I think just that fact is actually pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Another related point that I haven't gone back and and looked at the other uh, uh, graphs because I was just hoping that Gartner would do it for me is to take a look. They have, um, as Dan was describing it, one other thing to add, they have the different color coded uh, points on the graph. So it's, it's when uh, the plateau for these products or these technologies or these trends will be achieved. So the different categories are less than two years, two to five years, five to 10 years, more than 10 years, and then a really bleak one, obsolete before the plateau. Right. Um, but I think it's, it's interesting to look. There's a lot of stuff in here that is five to 10 years or more than five to 10 years out, just eyeballing it. It looks like more of the, tra- more of the emerging things that they cite are in those buckets. Yep. And I think that's another thing to look at over time is, is Gartner... Uh, graphing, are they plotting things that are more proximate or less proximate, you know, relative to previous years, how many yellow dots are there versus how many, uh, you know, unfilled dots. And I I think that would be an interesting thing to, uh, to see. And also the last, I guess, last related point on that is we've talked a little bit about this with, uh, Rohit from the non-obvious trends, Mm -hmm. um, Things that five years ago were expected to have achieved the plateau in five years or less, it'd be interesting to take stock of how those things have done. Right. So um, there, there is, t- to me, I, I love the 2019 version, but I'm, I'm really excited about the prospect of taking a look at, at uh, where Gartner has been as it looks forward to where the world is going. Right. I, will, I do want to point out one thing, the uh, difference in the graphs as I pulled them up here is that this year it does have an obsolete option for timing. So you have the two to five, five to 10, 10 years. There is now obsolete before, see if I can get the exact wording here, obsolete before plateau they have as one of the timetables that has not existed before. So um, as we talk through that and look at the the comparison, and maybe we we can do some graphical overlays ourselves. I can play around with these graphs that we have uh, to see the differences and see how they play off one another. But the uh, evolution of the Gartner hype cycle itself and how they're presenting the data and how they're showing it, I do think to your point, Brandon, is really interesting and in how they're developing it. And are they looking back at their own work? Uh, to your point, are they doing that development work to see how things are progressing and how they're even presenting it? Mike, we talked about the Holon IQ right. and that, that picture superiority and how great that was. It seems like Gartner has a lot of data here, but isn't necessarily presenting it as well as some of these other studies we've been looking at. Yeah, I got a I got a meta hot take on this. It's a it's a or a hot meta take. I'm not sure. It's one or the other, maybe a little bit of both. But uh, I think the Gartner hype cycle may be in the Gartner hype cycle, and the Gartner hype cycle may be heading into the trough of disillusion. Uh oh, hey oh. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so Gartner, we want to get smarter with you. We want you to rally here because this was uh, this was super super zeitgeisty. Really cool stuff when we discovered it. Feels like you're, 
you're ripe for disruption unless you sort of you, you get a little frisky defending turf here. And uh, I think it also feels like maybe they're putting more behind the paywall. Uh, like, I'm not really sure, but it does, you know, they're targeting, um, you know, chief technology officers, uh, folks who really want to be cutting edge, R&D departments. So, like, it is, and we'll get into the nuts and bolts of a lot of the language and a lot of the, the shape of what's emerging in the trend curve, which is why, uh, you know, this is coming out of a place of love. Like, we are aspirational around what this could become. But like it does feel like uh, what maybe was more of a holistic, more of, you know, uh, not just looking at the bubble side of the hype cycle, but also looking at the long-term return on investment around these types of technologies. Um, I enjoyed when it was that full lifespan because it also put the hype, the hype part in, in context. And if anything, only looking at the front end of the hype cycle and talking to, you know, uh, R&D functions and chief technologists and uh, folks in the venture space, it almost feeds bubbles. And it doesn't really talk about what's going to make it through and actually power the, the next five to 10 years. So, um, so that was my meta hot take, you know, a little shot across the bow to Gartner, but this come from a place of love. We'd love to have uh, more representation from them on the show but um but that's generally my take and then the other the other like sort of set like that's that's take one and take one a is like it's all ai and they kind of mailed it in a little there too where like i used to hear more about the blockchain no mention of the blockchain here we used to talk about uh smart dust uh cyber prosthetics like a lot of stuff that maybe there's one or a few references in it used to be a little more broad brush. So now I would say it feels a little more like they're drinking deep of the AI Kool-Aid. And I think there's more emerging than just AI. So, uh, so those are my, my, uh, the meta take is maybe the hype cycle itself is heading into a bit of a trough. And then the other one is they're over indexing around like a potential AI bubble. Um, but then the details and the words and the language really interesting definitely worth checking out i'd love to get into that with the rest of you guys coming come, coming in spicy you like it I, I, I like, like it yeah. You know? yeah i will also say if i'm ever changing my name a la rano test i will be meta hot take instead of meta world peace so <laughs> that good. is it's pretty good that is uh on on the docket in the future if i ever need a stage name but uh there are five buckets here that they talk about in the emerging technologies trends this is what mike was just discussing the the, the words and language they're using to describe these different topics and brandon i know you love lists i do love a list so i don't know if you'd like me to read you the list for old times or if you'd like to take a crack at old times these- old time I, I never liked when you and when those old times weren't old i never liked when you read the list i always wanted that action so i'm i am uh, i'm your huckleberry all right well, yeah, we so have- the, fi- the five buckets and i think it's probably worth spending uh, just a beat on each of them after i read this and and i won't do the the beat spending uh, i'll just do the list reading and then we can all discuss but the five buckets are sensing and mobility mm-hmm. one augmented human post-classical compute and comms yeah i think that one might have still been in uh copy editing but the deadline (laughs) the the deadline hit yeah yeah uh digital ecosystems and advanced ai and analytics and i i will say before we get into the the going through each of these buckets what they mean i think it's 
that's helpful. Hopefully that's part of the yep. reason the listeners are listening yep. to understand what those, what those um, exciting emerging trends are. Um, AI is throughout a lot of these. So there is a bucket called, as I just read it, advanced AI and analytics, but there is AI in others of those buckets too. So mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. And I'm not sure whether Gartner is, uh, you know, how much of an influence they are on this versus how uh, sort of uh, faithfully they are reporting back the trend. But either the trend that it is AI for X, right, which we've been talking about for a number of years, yep. um, as the thing that is going to be, you know, if you sort of buck it up into a big thing, the big thing that's going to have a big impact on everything in the future, um, mm-hmm. and also the interest in early stage emerging technologies. That, that may be actually reflective of where we all are. So yep. Um, yep. And I, I think uh, interesting, possible back to the meta, there's more conversation maybe to be had there. But it may be worth going through and just unpacking a little bit what, what each of these uh, buckets are. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, uh, nice, uh, I'd like to, I, I appreciate your take. Uh, if I had some tea, uh, it may be like a, a nice like dar, Darjeeling that, uh, that I gently uh, steeped. Uh, it wasn't particularly like, it wasn't like a, a, a really strong, like uh, heavily caffeinated tea, but I it was a very fair be- take. It was very fair and <laughs> take on your part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, look, we're, we're uh, there's cops and, and we're, we can play both sides here. Uh, and we do love, we do heart Gartner. We do. We do. Uh, and I think honestly, I, despite my weak tea uh, take on your take, I think, I think it was, I think it's actually fair. It does seem. Yeah. It's reflective of where all the it is reflective of a lot of capital and focus going into early stage AI bets that are going to take a little while to to come to fruition. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. If we so, go ahead, go ahead, Brent, well, if we dive into I think where I would assume Brendan, you might want to augmented humans because we've talked before about you plugging right in Neuralink. <laughs> Right, right in the back of my neck. Yeah, I mean, are they in order for a reason? Do we think? I think it's alphabetical. Okay, I, I, yeah. that would be yeah. So as long I, as we systematically hit all five. I'm oh in, no, it's not. Yeah, whatever, I mean, sensing mobility order. starts first. So you know, it's S A B C. It's I think it's alphabetical. So <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I I think it's just uh, it's just <laughs> how the uh, copy editor decided to put it together. Oh, that was good. So, so sensing and mobility, though, Brandon. Let's do that one first. That's that first. First day list. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, and th- this is, again, this is a bucket. These are, these are themes. And I think it's, it's actually helpful. There's 29 technologies or 29 um, uh, trends that uh, Gartner is plotting on this graph. And bucketing into five is, I think, it's really helpful. So, um, you know, this is um, uh, a bunch of things in here around around sensing mobility, I guess the language they use, but uh, things that are both sensing and things that are more mobile. So um, 3D sensing cameras, uh, autonomous driving, drone technology, um, you know, all all of that falls into this bucket. And the idea is that um, as there's more capability with these various technologies, it's going to uh, unlock more uh, more technology, right? So, and and with it, it, it references IoT, Internet of Things. Basically, everything is connected now, and the more capabilities that these sensing technologies have, the more they can plug into the just vast network of things that exist that are connected. Right. Yep. Um, and so, I, I I 
personally think that this is this is right on. Like there's going to be whether it's a, you know Amazon delivery drones or or uh, really getting autonomous cars out on the road. Um, you know these are variously in the two to five to ten years out there. So these yep. not all these things are like tomorrow you're going to see this, but um, you know, we've talked a lot on this show, not just about this topic, but about following the money. Right. Where there is a, uh, a, a benefit in either cost reduction or ability to reach additional customers, I think that's, that's a thing that I would be interested in also seeing is, is what the sort of economic impact of this is going to be. And my guess on this one is that the economic impact will be high. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I also think there's the those new modes of sensing will change uh, the personal engagement with technology, whether it's a smartphone or wearable tech, like it's more likely that that will sense your emotional state from how your face is responding. So like your heart rate, uh, you know, fitness technology is gonna be moving forward because of these abilities to, to sense. And then uh, increasingly the internet of things and smart bots, and uh, drones and such are gonna be taking what used to be manufacturing work out of the, 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 the human realm and begin to move it into a blended and increasingly um, you know, uh, non-human powered um, world. And, uh, and then also all that sensing is gonna feed an even bigger data collection capability that will allow for some of the uh, more machine learning aspects of AI to kind of build that feedback system. So I did think the way they laid it out did begin to paint a picture around like, again, kind of like how a CTO might think about it, where like on the one end, I'm going to need to do the automation sensing, sort of replace the the sort of the legacy industrial manufacturing model with some new modes. And that's kind of the first one, and that'll have a lot of like retail consumer implications too. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that too? Like we talk about it from like a learning perspective, like if we're thinking about this first category, any specific um, relevance that might have to folks who are interested in education and learning? Yeah, I, I think that the all the sensing, the camera-based stuff, there's an opportunity for uh, enhancing teachers' capabilities in the classroom. So there, there have been these 360 cameras for a long time, but they've been pretty expensive and the output has been uh, pretty, um, uh, it's pretty intense even just to, to consume the output from them. You know, I can imagine, and I think there's, there's uh, some negative implications of this too that I can imagine pretty easily, but I can imagine having uh, watching technology in the classroom that mm -hmm. is identifying, you know, relative alertness, engagement of students when, you know, literally putting, or I guess not literally, but figuratively putting those eyes in the back of teachers' heads. Yeah. Sure. Um, I think that's, that's, um, that is interesting. And if you can downplay the, the, um, the, the negative side of that, I think there could be some real classroom enhancements that come from it. Well, we, we just talked recently, Mike, about the baseball, the better ball idea. Yep. And yep. a lot of that was the 3D technology around pitch tracking and yes. understanding the physical. So from the physical sense here, getting the, you know, teaching of baseball or teaching of any sort of physical activity would lend here pretty well, I think, as tracking people's movements and understanding how to write themselves in that way. 
Yeah. The, the thing I found really intriguing here is the idea that the regulations are what's hampering this phase the most. So mm -hmm. the government's involvement, state, local, uh, federal here in the United States, how much that's slowing them down. Now that happens in a lot of industries that innovation slows down because of regulation, but uh, intriguing to see how these companies go to bat in Washington or on the state and local level to try to open up drones to deliver. Like what, what sort of laws need to be passed to allow that and how yeah. much time will that take in and of itself? hundred percent. Yeah. And even, uh, you know, how much will, uh, the political realm begin to be activated by this? One of the reasons why Andrew Yang has activated a lot of people's imaginations as a, a, a real dark horse candidate who's unlikely to win, but is really impacting the conversation uh, is the idea that he's very concerned about the future of work and is beginning to represent um, ways in which some thoughtful policy could protect the role of humanity through this transitional period that Gartner was kind of looking at. I think that is interesting. The last note that I wanted to add just on the teaching context is also the, um, the idea of biometrics. Uh, so like understanding in addition to um, sort of emotional state through sensors or whatever, like if you could understand uh, which of your students are tired right. or um, anxious, um, or uncomfortable uh, for whatever reason, the kind of whole student movement, you don't really get at that until you have a better read on some of that data. I think it will be really challenging if you look at uh, you know GDPR and data privacy as an increasing problem to navigate. I think there's gonna be challenges to figure out which students are willing to offer up their data and like their biometrics to kind of optimize their performance. But, but I think those that do uh, with brands that they trust will begin to unlock uh, human potential in ways that we haven't really seen before. And that'll, that'll be an exciting trend to watch around learning and performance. Uh, let's move on to, and I think the opt-in, opt-out idea of that too. Like, can I opt into it? Can I opt out of it? Is it in the entire classroom? We'll be one to follow as well. Augmented humans is next in our alphabetical list um, as we go through, of course, the S after A. Brandon. Are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready. This is what I was, I was uh, not born for, but made for, as it turns out. Just plug me in, Elon. I'm ready. Um, so this is, there's all sorts of things in this bucket. Um, you know, new bio, all the stuff, the biomed stuff, tissue growth. Um, a lot of this is, and I think this is really great for people who are differently abled. Um, there's beyond that, though, also the idea of creating superhuman capabilities. You know, an example they give is, an robo is a robotic arm that is stronger than a human arm. Um, I, I think, you know, this is, this is where we're getting into like mechs here, but uh, this, is, this is really cool stuff that, you know, we, are, we as humans are limited um, more by our physical capabilities than by our mental or emotional capabilities. You know, we're, we're fantastical in terms of the things that we can imagine. Um, and I think we can be, aren't always, but can be extremely nuanced in the way in which we engage with other humans. But we can only run so fast or jump so far or carry so much or, and you know, obviously there's variation uh, among people that, there too. But the idea that we can have technology that um, transcends that, that boundary that has existed for all of human existence is to me really interesting. And that there's all, beyond all of the, um, uh, 
uh, therapeutic uh, uh, parts of this, which are also obviously super interesting too. So I, I love this one. You know, I, I, we've, we've been joking about Neuralink, which is the Elon uh, Musk company, which is planning to have the matrix style um, thing go right in your brainstem and uh, get you uh, so that you know Taekwondo, um, uh, which is perfect for high ed, as we've talked about also. Uh, I, I'm I'm all in on uh, on on that. I'm all in on this uh, this bucket of uh, of emerging technologies. You know, interestingly, I uh, shared recently on Twitter. Uh, there is new technology. Didn't make the hype cycle, but it's a wearable seat. Uh, and uh, you know, it's funny to contrast like what's just now possible that is different and is like just weird from what is exciting about what's five to 10 years out there. If you haven't seen it, we'll share it on our, on Trending and Ed as a Twitter account, our, our Twitter account, uh, which is a great follow, at Trending and Ed, uh, for those of you who are listening. Uh, tell your friends. But uh, this, this thing, it's just like, you walk around, it's, when you're standing up, it's like you're, there's these little things like on the backs of your legs, but then you can sit down anywhere you want. And like so you, you get tired, you just sit down. Like that's probably that's because it's already in market. It's on the plateau of productivity, wearable seats. It's here today, and uh, and that's just a scratch in the surface of augmented humanity. But um, and it reminds me also of uh, Yuval Harari's book uh, Homo Deus, which is a really good read. I've referenced it in the past, but it's basically talking about how new new lines of thinking are emerging around like post-humanism, the idea that there will be new forms that emerge that aren't exclusively human, whether it's through, uh, you know, hacking our, our genetic code, blending with technology, doing the kind of uh, like augmentation that you were just describing, Brandon, like that is, um, that's already happening. Um, and then if you combine that with the rate at which these other technologies are maturing, um, it's really interesting how where the cutting edge will be in five to 10 years. Um, it's getting really close to the singularity, you know, and we haven't talked about the singularity in a while. Uh, but uh, Ray Kurzweil, shout out to Ray and the singularity, uh, you know, hit us up on at trending and Ed Ray. But, uh, but yeah, a wearable, uh, wearable seats. Uh, it's all know. about the solution. What, what problem it's solving, right? The wearable seats are solving problems, hopefully for people with, as Brandon said, different capabilities and, and different medical issues. But is there a market for it beyond those people? Is there like, a market for everyday use? And like lazy people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Waiting yeah. for a bus. It can get rough. Yeah. You know? Sure. You got to sit down. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, any other thoughts on augmented humans before we move on? No, I think let's uh, let's go on to the next bucket. The most exciting one from uh, um, uh, from the language they use: the post-classical compute and comms. That that is accurate. They're talking about the next gen of computers and communication devices and how data will communicate with itself. They discuss five G, uh, the new uh, cellular network that is coming or is not, depending on which article you read, at which time you read it, um, and then about. Uh, low Earth orbit satellites, LEOs, not to be uh, mistaken for ELO, a great band from the 70s. Um, but you have uh, much lower orbiting satellites to help with communication. Any broad thoughts here, Mike, on the new architectures they're talking about and how this might translate into a discussion here on, on Trending and Ed? 
Uh, it's just interesting to think about the infrastructure that can power everything else. That this one is this why the language is not particularly uh, interesting. Uh, you know, uh, the idea that everyone will have access to things that are uh, scarce now. So, like high speed connected connectivity will increasingly become available everywhere through mobile devices that everyone has. So like a lot of the places what, that we thought of as having systemic constraints, um, those uh, systemic constraints will likely be easing up. Um, I think it's interesting to contrast that with the conversation we just had around digital inclusion, where like, you know, for folks, who, for the haves, um, it's going to be increasingly easy to get access to super high speed everything and really like fast connections and all that. For the have-nots, I think, you know, they will be getting something like things will continue to improve in the developing world and like stuff will still um, that's really where the emerging markets are that's what we keep looking at you know Africa and Asia are where we're going to see the most uh, growth but um, I'm not sure if all of these emerging technologies will lift all those boats in the developing world uh, quickly but it will allow for like the elite to have really amazing access to incredible services um, and also incredible environments to develop against. So developing for the, the, the folks who are, you know, who have access, I think it's going to be really interesting. And then I think there will be a carry on effect, almost like a little trickle down equivalent to like, you know, providing new avenues of access to folks who maybe don't have them at all right now. But, uh, but I see this one as more like the sort of, little sneakier sneaking up on you, but the, the backend infrastructure gets better. That makes everything um, easier to develop against. You know, this is sort of like the platform systemic uh, one of the, of, of the trends that they outlined. Yeah. And to go deeper on a thing that, that I'm probably underqualified to talk about, but I think it's super fascinating. This is, this is the blockchain of, of 2019 nice. is, uh, is the quantum computing piece. Yep. So, you know, traditional computing is uses binary bits, right? So it's something is either on or off. And the whole concept, as I understand it, of quantum computing is using a different kind of bit. So it's a, it's a qubit. So yeah. it can be a bit that can be represent, ha have different states than just those two binary on off. Uh -huh. um, the application of this is tremendous. So it's essentially, it's just unlocking computing speed um, and running multiple parallel processes. So again, where these individual bits are, are not representing individual states. Um, to, to, this is just building on your point, Mike, that this quantum computing, if it becomes something that is um, mainstream and, and I, I, you know, my understanding is it needs to be these qubits need to be clo kept close to absolute zero uh, temperature, um, which is not in most server rooms in most places. So I'm not sure how close we are to making this mainstream, but that will underpin all of the other stuff. So machine learning, AI, like all of the things that require tremendous computational power and speed will all be made more accessible and better essentially through quantum computing. Um, and so there, there's part of this, this um, compute and comms is about access and networks and getting it, you know, with low earth orbit uh, satellites, getting it to people who don't have it today. I think that's, that's really interesting too. But 
Um, I, I would, for folks who are interested in this stuff, I think it's really, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty trippy uh, actually to just think about um, how this could fundamentally change computing as we've known it for the last you know, 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all that, that kind of change could unlock for us. Uh, and if you think about, you know, Mike, you said AI is basically throughout all of this, you know, if, if, if that is true and it is true, um, then something like this, something like quantum computing could be making, in fact, every one of these emerging technologies, uh, more accessible, faster to market, um, more, uh, influential when it does hit market. Um, so I, I think this is, this one is sneaky, interesting. Yeah, and and just building on that too, like in terms of the skill development side, like leaning into, I still think the block. I I don't know what's going on with the blockchain. What's like there were there used to be a a a, a burgeoning love affair between Gartner's hype cycle and the blockchain. Now now it's like they didn't even exist, you know. So I still think the blockchain. Don't call it a comeback, but I'm expecting more out of the blockchain. But it does feel like this stuff will. Uh, will kind of permeate it's like the force right you know like you're it's a force multiplier too is another way to think about it where like you know moore's law now wouldn't really even make sense in terms of quantum computing so like you know it does feel like it some of the delimiters that are there are going to be removed if they're the kinds of breakthroughs we're expecting through quantum computing so uh it's almost a call to action to all of us to sort of follow your example, Brandon, and like lean in on some of these confusing areas. You may not get 100% savvy in blockchain and quantum computing, but you know we should all have at least passing awareness of these things. Otherwise, we're not gonna stay job relevant. Like, you know, some of this stuff, that's part of why hopefully some people listen to the show. Some of these ideas that are emerging, like spend a little time, that you don't have to go super deep. You don't need a, you know, you know a master's degree, you don't even really need a Coursera certification, but like at least understand what it is and start thinking about the long-term implications and then think about how, you know, you develop as a professional, how workforces are managed and trained in emerging technologies. Uh, it's really interesting stuff. Uh, and I'm glad you called that one out because uh, uh, binary to quantum, you know. If on that note, uh, I saw a great uh, video over on, uh, YouTube from Wired.com, they have a five-level series where they explain things at five different levels, uh, grade school, high school, college, grad school, and then a professional. And they did one on quantum computing. So mm. if you are interested in it, I am not an expert in the field and, and felt much more knowledgeable after having watched it. It does a nice job of scaffolding and building on the topic before. Uh, and they have a whole series of different topics, but quantum computing one was very good. Uh, digital ecosystems is up next. Web-like connections to read directly here between actors sharing a digital platform. Uh, Brandon, uh, maybe picking up with you here, uh, anything top of mind or interesting to you from the discussion points they have here about digital ecosystems? Yeah, I mean, I think this is just everything is more connected, right? So um, it's it's not just IoT, it's, it's people and places and things. Um, the more... You know, the the more that's connected, the more valuable those connections. So, um, you know, I, I think I, I actually think the blockchain falls into this bucket, right? So, you know, it talks about decentralized autonomous organizations. I, I that I believe that blockchain is an example of that. Um, and you know, again, like the the power of this is in the breadth and depth of this. The more connected, the more powerful which then invites more connections, which makes it more powerful. So 
um, you know, the, the, the concept that we are essentially all sharing one platform, a platform I call Earth. Um, but we are all sharing this one platform that we're variously plugged into and are going to be increasingly plugged into. Uh, I think that's, there's, there's real opportunity um, for you know, all the things that are connected to be better because of all the things that are connected. Yeah, just to build real quick on this one, and I think we can move on, but like, I just think ecosystem thinking, the word ecosystem is a good word, and it implies be like systemic thinking, uh, design thinking, you know, like understanding at an architectural level how all the components fit together, uh, and frequently that's when, it, you know, there is complexity in an ecosystem, and you have to allow for that, but you also can kind of take a step back typically when you're thinking about an ecosystem as opposed to an individual thing. Um, and I think that's important, you know, tying it back to the learning side, um, understanding the, the role of the humans in the learning ecosystem, I think is going to be a really interesting area for us to understand. And also this is written for uh, chief technology officers, not really chief learning officers or folks who are trying to understand uh, workforce development. Uh, training and development. I think there's another lens that would be interesting to talk to Gartner about is like, you know, okay, what's the role of, of humans? And if you're thinking about training and developing a workforce of the future, um, how will they fit into the ecosystem? How will those workflows evolve? Um, and, um, and then who has the right skills and competencies to design for the human interaction with the digital ecosystem. Uh, that stuff's really, uh, really interesting and uh, obviously an area that we could dig into further maybe on a, another time. Uh, the final bucket, advanced AI and analytics. Mike, come to you here. I think the most advanced AI I ever saw was against the Lakers in the finals, but would like uh, your take here on uh, how this all comes to be, of course, Allen Iverson, for those who haven't listened uh, to the show before. Yeah, we gotta get Iverson on the show. It's I mean, like happen. it's been it's been too long. I, I would say even ahead of, like, Elon Musk has had, I mean, they've, we all have our our challenges in life, but uh, but but I'd love to to hear uh, Alan Iverson's take uh, on this because because he had it he had it he still has advanced AI you know like he just he, he is he's the answer you know um, but um, yeah I mean I think this one kind of puts the cherry on top of the Sunday a bit uh, where if you hadn't noticed already it's all about uh, artificial intelligence machine learning um, that universe I'd love to get uh, Brandon's take. Yeah, I think this is, um, again, Sundays, cherries. We've been talking about this basically throughout this episode that the more, you know, just to maybe to pull all these things together, the more connected things are uh, and the more they require really fast computing, the more you can apply AI, machine learning, et cetera, solutions to all of those things. So uh, it's of a piece with what we've been talking about. I think there is some interesting things in here. Um, it talks about edge AI. So where, um, you know, brands are using AI to, in, in sort of really creative ways to enable different kind of engagements with their product and their customers, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, automated delivery of uh, product to someone who can then open their door automatically and have an exchange that doesn't require a human on either side, uh, I think is interesting. Um, it talks about, uh, uh, or related talks about um, an IoT-enabled hotel room, um, which uh, you know can turn on your shower at a certain time, set to a certain temperature, 
and can uh, you know set the the temperature to in in your hotel room already at, throughout all times of the day on uh, you know something that you can interact with and then learns about you and your preferences so that the next time you show up you don't have to reprogram it you can just you know choose settings from the past I think that's all of that falls under the 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 bucket for me of just making the world a more personalized and more awesome place to live. And I, I, again, I go back to something I said earlier on this episode about following the money. If someone is more likely to stay at that hotel, just use that example, because it is a more personalized and more awesome experience for them, that is a uh, justification for that brand's investment in AI, mm-hmm. right? And I think we're going to start to see um, AI, although, you know, I, I heart bots, AI isn't just about bots, right? It's about leveraging um, in a learning capacity, a tremendous amount of data that gets smarter with each uh, use. And, and I, I think there's going to be a ton of, of applications for that that makes that are commercially viable and for us as customers of the world, as end users of this technology, even if we don't see it as the AI, we're not inter- interfacing with the code or the teams mm-hmm. to put that together. We're just having a more curated, personalized user experience I think that's um, I mean, that's really exciting. And uh, just, I love where you're going there too, because like, I think the design of that, you know, hotel of Tomorrowland is going to be a very human design problem that will likely be best handled by smart, em- empathetic, savvy, experienced designers who are able to leverage the full power of everything we just talked about on this show, there, there will probably be a time when that will also be AI empowered, but like that's also gets a little meta too. So like there, we will always be offloading some components of the design and the delivery to technology, but we will always be retaining a component that is uniquely human and then trying to like navigate that blend which is really since our first show, that's what we've been talking about, the blend of educational technology and the power of the teacher in the classroom. Um, it's going really, to get really interesting. And then the problems of access, I think, will also be interesting too, where like there still will be classrooms that you know, we're all embarrassed are still out there in, in, in the world, in a world that has this level of enablement and technology. Uh, you know, why, are, why are teachers suffering when maybe they shouldn't? And why are certain areas have access to some of this technology, others not. But, um, but at, when it's at its best, it does seem like the, the classroom of the future is going to be pretty, pretty sweet and hooked up. A, a deep and robust topic here with the Gartner Hype Cycle each and every year. Uh, good to dig into each of these five buckets and stories to track as the year goes on up until next year's 2020 Gartner Hype Cycle as they seem to be focusing more and more on emerging technologies and not on uh, working technologies or business adopted technologies will be interesting to see what's next. What's next on the hype cycle? What do they see on the horizon and what could be around the corner? Brandon, as always, thanks so much for hopping on. Always good to have you back here on Trending in Education. Mike, with great content as always. You can find us on Twitter, as Mike said, at Trending in Ed, Trending in Ed on Facebook as well. Find us on LinkedIn, uh, Trending in Education over there. We're posting each of the episodes, starting some discussions on there as well. And of course, it's trendingineducation.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Trending in Education. 